to The Turning Point Project. I'm Helen Rabello, founder of the Magical Life Movement and author of The Magical Unfolding, Eight Magical Processes for Peace, Potential and Purpose. And I believe that when you face transitions in life, you have to find a way to move forward through the messy bits, even when you feel scared. In this project, I talk to inspiring conscious souls about how they used to turning points to move from a life that didn't fully fit towards living a more intentional, fulfilling life despite the messy bits. May these stories inspire you to trust your turning points and to always believe there is magic to be found in life even when you feel stuck in the messy middle. And if you haven't yet ordered your copy of The Magical Unfolding, head on over to the website to gift yourself a copy so that you can get all of the bonuses on offer to help you shape your next decade differently. Hello, lovely soul. Welcome back to today's episode of The Turning Point Project, where I get to share a really gorgeous soul called Claire Maycock with you today, who is a writer, artist and a Reiki practitioner who is inspired by green spaces and ancient places. Claire was one of the first founding members of my Magical Life Circle in 2019. And during our time together in the circle, she had a massive turning point in her life, which really was kind of the final stage of a decade's worth of turning points. So in this conversation, she shares her key insights, takeaways, ahas and realizations as a result of the huge shifts and huge personal traumas and events that have happened to her in that decade. I really think that you will come away from this conversation feeling like no matter what happens to you in your life, you have everything you need inside you to come out the other side, still smiling, still able to find lightness in your heart and able to really trust in yourself and your direction, even if you don't yet know where it's going to take you. So this is a very refreshing conversation. I can't wait to hear what you think. So let us know your biggest takeaways over on Instagram at Helen Rabello author. Thank you for listening. Welcome, Claire, to The Turning Point Project, and thank you so much for agreeing to share some of your incredible journey, your incredible story with us today. It's such a delight and a pleasure to have you as my guest. Well, thank you for having me, Helen. As you know, I've been listening to The Turning Point since the beginning. It's one of my all-time favourite podcasts, and it's slightly unreal to be on it. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Thank you for that. Isn't it amazing what can change and shift in a short period of time? You've gone from being one of the people who listened to it when it was a pop-up podcast. Uh, I know it had an impact on you. And here you are now about to share insights that will have an impact on others. How does that feel? Um, Yes, (laughs) I think it's what... (laughs) It's what happens when you find the right teacher um, and when you listen to other people's stories with an open mind and an open heart, 
things start to talk to you and you, and you begin to rewrite your own story and you begin to see your own life in a slightly different light, I think. Beautifully said, absolutely. And so I know that's a gorgeous segue into talking about your journey because I know you've had an epic journey <laughs> I mean, you know I know life life likes to throw us all quite a lot of things but in your case you really have packed quite a lot in um <laughs> in the last 10 years or so so I know that you know how we normally structure these conversations so would you be happy to take us back in time to the turning point that you would love to talk about today and just tell us where you were and what happened. Certainly. So when I was thinking about this, I couldn't decide if I'd had a decade of small turning points on top of each other or one big fat decade long turning point. And I I think I've come down to thinking of it in the latter way, that it's been an entire decade in which everything has changed, everything's been challenged, and everything has been opened up, as it were. So it it all began in 2010. um, And that's when I left my last corporate job. So I'd had a 20 year career in communications and marketing. Um, It had been a lot of fun. And I'd learned some wonderful skills and acquired some lovely friends. But there were large parts of that world that just did not fit with me, um, that didn't resonate that, that drove me crazy and that made me feel like I was in the wrong place. Um, I think I, I heard somebody say once I, I climbed to the top of the ladder and realized it was the wrong ladder. And I think that's how I felt. The next promotion up would have been a sort of senior civil service role. And I looked at my lovely boss and I thought with the best will in the world, I don't want that life. You know, I don't want to be attached to my BlackBerry 24-7 and that's what's required to do one of those jobs. So I left that job. I knew I wanted a life with more creativity in it and more freedom, but I had no idea what that looked like in in reality. And I still don't now, 10 years later. But the difference is I'm now much more comfortable with the fact that I don't have it all kind of mapped out and planned out. So in that decade, uh, many, many, many things have happened. Um, Some positive, some very challenging. The first thing is I got married, which I had never expected to do. I got married to my lovely husband and then I moved to the country and as a London girl born and bred that was a huge life change and eventually I fetched up in a old thatched listed cottage (laughs) with the roses round the door it's a total cliche Um, it's beautiful but it required lots and lots of tender loving care so that took quite a lot of time and then I have had some major life challenges in the last decade I've lost both my parents Uh, I've actually nursed three people through serious illness. Two of them passed away and very fortunately one, my husband recovered um, and that was only last year. So I've had lots of uh, confronting life experiences in that 10 years. And, you know, that, that would be enough for most people. But I was still being really hard on myself and thinking, well, why aren't you building a career? And, you know, when I look back at it now, I'm, I find that faintly ridiculous. <laughs> well, you weren't building a career because you were busy looking after your family and, and doing all of these other things. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did, you know, I did make a few attempts at, at building a new career. Um, I got some hilariously inappropriate part-time jobs <laughs> because I was obsessed with having an answer to that dreaded question. And what do you do for a living? 
And because I didn't have an answer to that, a nice elevator pitch answer, I thought, well, if I get a part-time job, at least I'll have something to say. But what I did is I took the bits of corporate life that I hated the most (laughs) and replicated them in my part-time jobs. And then I wondered why that was not successful for me. (laughs) The level of self-sabotage that uh, people are capable of is is always quite interesting. Um, And I also did lots of volunteering as well. And I thought, well, okay, so the part-time jobs haven't worked out. I, I can volunteer. But what I did is is have no boundaries. And I, I added it up the other day. I've actually volunteered for no fewer than five different organizations, three of them simultaneously. And I wondered why I was constantly feeling burnt out and didn't have any creative energy for my own pursuits. Uh, yeah, and when I look back now, I realized that when I left that corporate job in, in 2010, I was already thoroughly burnt out. Um, and then you add on top of that all of these life challenges and moving house and working part-time and volunteering and and my solution to burnout was just to pile more and more things on which obviously was never going to work yeah so it's almost as if that you you made this massive gesture for yourself by deciding to leave this role that you'd been in kind of where you knew where you were and knew what the, the score was and it's quite a gutsy brave decision to walk away from that but then Do you think maybe given that you said you had that sense of dreading the question and boy, can I relate to that? (laughs) (laughs) When I left my radiography, sonography world and started training in shiatsu, you can bet when people asked me what I did, I still said for quite a long time, I'm a qualified radiographer or I do shiatsu, but I'm a qualified radiographer. So I get that. But do you think part of that diving into and exploring so many other things, giving your time and energy to so many other things was related to almost needing to prove that you still had some worth in the world, even though you'd walked away from. I do. Yes, I do. And I think that was my biggest mistake, if you like, Um, that I was still carrying all of that cultural conditioning about what a successful life looks like and the cultural conditioning says it has to be measured by either a job title or an income at a certain level and that you can't be a successful person if you don't have one of those two things Um, and I now realize that for me that's just not true and in my attempts to try and acquire one of those things either through volunteering or these hilarious part-time jobs I was still trying to conform to that cultural conditioning of of success and I think it was actually a way of avoiding what I really wanted to do because when I'm asked the question now I'm a writer an artist and a Reiki practitioner and I'm not published yet and I haven't sold many paintings but nonetheless that's what I am and if people question it I, I sort of say well I didn't say I was a successful writer and artist I just said I'm a writer and an artist um, and I've had to become very comfortable with the idea of just enjoying that creativity for the sake of it and giving it space and room to breathe you know when you have an idea in in a creative life and you immediately think how can I monetize that you just kill it you kill it stone dead Um, an amusing example was I was exploring my art towards the end of last year and I thought I know what I'll do I'll, I'll enroll on a foundation drawing course and guess what happened killed my enthusiasm for drawing overnight because the very first lesson was using charcoal I hate using charcoal I've done it before I'm never ever going to use charcoal in my creative work 
And so because the very first lesson was this thing I hated, it just killed my enthusiasm. And I, I stopped drawing for about three months. And I now realize that that need to validate what you're doing through either an academic qualification or a title or income is actually kryptonite for me when it comes to creativity. And I have got to learn to just enjoy the ride, as it were. Yeah. And again, I can, I can very much relate to that. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's a generational thing. It's hard to say because I am in the generation I mean, I know we're in similar generations. Um, we were kind of brought up with this idea that, uh, you know, the, the optimum way to be was to go to uni and get a degree and ideally get some letters after your name. At the very least, I'm in the O-level generation, get your, get your English and maths O-level or life is doomed (laughs) it's like drilled into you but somewhere along the line it's almost as if we start to apply that completely outdated well it's that subconscious messaging we've been fed to every endeavor almost without necessarily realizing we're doing it Absolutely. I did all of those things. I did my, I was first year GCSEs. Um, So I did GCSEs and I did A-levels and I went to university and I did a little bit of traveling and then I got the job and climbed the career ladder for 20 years. And as I say, there were some wonderful things that came from that and I, I wouldn't change any of it necessarily, but I did have to come to the acceptance that that life wasn't for me. Um, And if I continued, I would have been burnt out, washed up and miserable. Yeah. Um, and I, I've had to confront that reality, you know, head on over the last 10 years. Um, and I think for the first time in my life now, I'm, I'm comfortable not knowing what's next. And I'm comfortable not necessarily being in total control of it. Because, you know, as you know, every time I've thought I was in control over the last 10 years, the universe has thrown something at me and said, no, try this you know. Um, So I think that's one of the big life lessons for me is that we're not actually meant to be in control of everything all of the time. And if you can be comfortable with change and uncertainty, I mean, obviously, you can't be comfortable all the time. And some things are challenging and difficult. But if you can have trust and belief that it will all work out in the end, and it's all happening in the way that it's supposed to. And if you can just take a few deep breaths and and be quiet enough to listen to your own intuition and your own instinct I think you can survive most things and I think you know it makes you more resilient in the end because somebody said to me in a a reading not so long ago that if I could find peace in myself then that's something that nobody and nothing can ever take away from me and I thought that was brilliant advice. Yeah and I I 100% agree with that it's that sense of strong connection I think with who you are at your core and and you know learning to love yourself warts and all as the phraseology goes you know flaws and all or as I like to say love yourself and your inner cast of characters and your scars (laughs) and your stories and all the rest of it bring it all to the fold celebrate it all it's part of who you are but I think I think it's a lifelong process. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've got it all figured out either. But um, oh, no, no, for sure. I'd, and I'd, I don't think it's possible to, to ever have it all figured out because I think if you get to that point, you've stopped growing and you've, you've stopped evolving. Yeah, absolutely. So would you mind taking us back? Because, you know, you, as you said, 
I think one of the biggest things that you've had to come through and deal with is the fact that you've ended up, as you say, caring for three different family members throughout this period. Mm. You know, and I know you're in a place now where you have so much wisdom, so many insights. You really embody somebody who who does walk her talk in terms of what you just said, because I know what you've been through in the last year and I know how you've coped with that, how courageous and gracious you've been. But I know that that doesn't, it's like it's an evolution. It doesn't just happen. So are you able to talk about how that period caring for your Mm. parents, for your husband, how that's really shaped you? What has the process been for you in terms of coming through those experiences with more insight, more peace? Yeah, sure. Um, you're making me blush, firstly. <laughs> these lovely comments. I do that. Um, I think, well, the, the three people I cared for, I, um, I didn't care for my father because uh, we were estranged, sadly, and, and he only died fairly recently. But I did care for my father-in-law um, yeah. and my mother, and then most recently my husband who unexpectedly suffered a very, very serious illness called Guillain-Barre syndrome or GBS for short um, and went from being a a massively fit 54-year-old who was training for the London to Brighton off-road mountain bike race to being paralysed from the chest down in under a week and we had no idea what was wrong with him. So I think that was the most shocking thing. I think when you're caring for a parent, you can somehow rationalise it as we all expect to lose our parents at some point in life. You know, my mother died far too young, which was really sad. Um, But when I look back on that time, I mean, it was obviously very challenging. My mother was in and out of hospital for sort of about five years, uh, you know, on and off. She would have good periods and and then not so good periods. And the last few months of her life were very difficult. But when I look back at it now, I see what an utter privilege it was to be able to be with her. Um, to be able to hold her hand, to be able to comfort and reassure her and to be somebody that she could talk to um, and express her fears. And she was able to ask me to do certain things for her, made me promise to look after my brother, for example. And just by being there and holding the space, you know, there's nothing you can do. I'm not a doctor. Um, But just by being there and holding the space, you can bring such peace and comfort to somebody And I wouldn't trade you any job description or any salary for being able to be with my mother for those last few months. We were always very close. Um, She was my best friend in a lot of ways. And because I was there and because nothing was left unsaid, I still feel very close to her and I always will. And I think that's how I would put it. And when it came to my husband, I think... You know, we were very lucky. The NHS, I should say, is absolutely miraculous. And the people that looked after him were literally life-saving. And he was given, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of medical treatment, completely free of charge, which is a blessing that I think we, we can all too easily take for granted sometimes. But when it came to Paul, as soon as we had that diagnosis, we started to work together as a team. We did our research. We we worked out what this situation was luckily the odds of a full recovery are very high with GBS and he has in fact now fully recovered which is a huge blessing but what I tried to do very consciously and he tried to do as well we kept a journal 
while he was in hospital. He was in hospital for about, I think it was nine weeks in total, and then recovering at home for a further three or four months. And we kept a journal of all the tiny, tiny wins, you know, and it's actually quite almost amusing to read it back now, you know, like the first time he was able to blow his own nose, for example, (laughs) which is something that you just take totally for granted in the day to day. But in that situation, it was a magnificent achievement. And we would sit by his bed, you know, writing this journal, laughing. I'm sure the nurses thought we were crazy, the (laughs) pair of us. But actually, they then came over and started reading the journal. And I think at least one of them is recommending that now to patients of record every step forward and then at the end of each week we would look at the week that had just gone by and we'd say hey you know last Sunday you couldn't do this and you couldn't do this and now you can and it just gave him that and me gave both of us that belief that progress was happening because I think in those serious critical illnesses it's it's so easy to lose hope and it's so easy to become downhearted and and that doesn't help you does it we all know that mental health is intrinsically linked to physical health and that if you can somehow find that mindset of belief and hope you you will heal more quickly in many cases not in every case but it certainly helps you so we kept this little journal and I learned to look for the gifts in the situation you know there were many many gifts Um, the fact that my late mother had left me her car for example which meant that I was able to visit him very easily and I didn't have to wait on rural public transport the fact that we live about 15 minutes from this wonderful hospital all sorts of little things that added together made that experience easier than it could have been and that gratitude mindset and I know it sounds twee but it it was a game changer it made all the difference to both of us and we've ended up now we always knew we were well, we hoped that we were a close, tight-knit team. But I don't think we'd ever really been tested like that. And we've come out the other side, and now we know that we're a close, tight-knit team. And that's a huge gift because I now cherish every single day that we have together in a way that it's so easy when you've been in a relationship long-term. You know, we've been together 15 years and and married for eight. I don't want to get that wrong. Yes, it is eight (laughs) eight this year. Um, And it's so easy to just slip into that day-to-day taking this person for granted and an experience like that that pulls the rug out from under you while it's terrifying and while it leaves you with that sort of wobbly insecure feeling for a while it also brings you the gift of newly appreciating absolutely everything you know as I say down to being able to blow you know the first time he stood up was ridiculous we both burst into tears you know something as simple as standing up from a bed unsupported which we all do every morning, don't we? Mm-hmm. We just get up. And the fact that he was having to learn to walk again and put lots of mental energy into that simple movement means that every time I watch him walk now, I'm, I'm sort of grinning like an idiot. We took our granddaughter out the other weekend and he ran along the road holding her hand. And I was just beaming from ear to ear because that was something that, you know, there was a time there we weren't sure he would be able to do that again. So I think it is all about, trying to find and you can't necessarily do it in the midst of the experience but trying to find the gift that something has given you long term and all of these people that I've 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 helped care for gave me different gifts and I'll carry those with me forever that is so beautiful thank you for sharing that well I'm glad it's beautiful and not depressing I was very worried preparing for the interview (laughs) it would be a real Debbie Downer but uh yeah, it's it's been a it's been a ride for sure. And as we've said before, when we've been chatting, it's it's tested me and it's pushed me. 
but it has left me with a newfound appreciation of of everything um all the small things in life yeah and do you feel like your capacity to to take all of these lessons from these experiences you've had in the last decade and particularly more recently with Paul do you think your capacity to extract that kind of juice goodness gratitude uh, you know the the ability to look at the light side whilst whilst not hiding the dark side but you know to see the light on the side of the dark do you think all that has been enhanced by the fact that you took this stand for yourself in 2010 and and mm. left a job that was sucking your soul or is it hard to say i mean Obviously, if I'd still had that corporate job, it would have been very difficult to spend the sort of time that I spent, certainly with my mother and and also with Paul. Although, obviously, I think I probably would have quit the job for Paul and just said, I'm off. Um, I think I did a lot of spiritual work as well, which which I haven't really mentioned. So as well as all these other things that I've I've kind of tried, I've done some creative work, but I've also explored Reiki healing. I think that was very important because it opened a door and then subsequently... I've been on lots of, you know, courses and workshops and tried to find that more spiritual side to myself. And I know for sure that that was buried in my corporate life. It it had to be, there was no space for it. So yes, I think in timing terms, it's really interesting. The fact that I had freed up my time and freed up my mind a little bit and started to explore the kind of more esoteric side of life. Yes, I think probably it it gave me better coping skills than I would have had. Yeah, I I think so. I think the whole thing has been a journey. And as I say, I I try to not regret any of it because regret is the world's most pointless emotion, I think. And we all feel it from time to time, but it gets you nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's just, you know, you just can't change the past. And also worry. I I read the other day somewhere that worry is a prayer for the thing you don't want. And I thought, "Mm, that's interesting. That's good. I've not heard that before. Yeah, and that's, I don't know, it's probably on the back of a cereal packet or something. But um, (laughs) I I did think it was interesting. And I was a person that suffered a lot from anxiety. Um, And and one of the biggest things I've learned, actually, uh, and I was on a workshop run by SAS Patheric uh, called Writing Your Way Home. And one of the things she had you do is is to write the narrative of your life the good things on one side and the not so good things on another. So you sit and you write the narrative and then she challenges you to wonder what story am I telling myself about that event? So say you've got a factual event. Well, what, what do I now believe as a result of having gone through that event? And I thought I'd done lots of work on, you know, my childhood anxieties and insecurities. And I suddenly realized I had still got with me a major piece of baggage So there was a person in my life when I was younger who wasn't very kind and who would say things to me like, um, oh, you're too loud and you're too clever, but you're not pretty enough and you're not this. And, And it was constantly, you're too much this or you're not enough that. And sitting in this workshop, I suddenly thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. That's logically not possible. You can't be too much and not enough at the same time that's ridiculous so maybe all of those messages were actually saying more about that person than they were about you Hmm. and maybe from today you could go forward just thinking I'm enough as I am I'm not too much I'm not not enough I'm just imperfectly enough some switch just clicked 
in my mind that day. And I just felt so light. It was extraordinary. I felt this incredible weight lift. And I think, yeah, d- doing that work. And I, again, yes, if I hadn't left corporate life, I don't think I'd have had the space or the courage to even attend that workshop. So doing that sort of work and, and working out who you really are when all the noise is turned off. You know, who are you? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe you're capable of? All of that kind of work has, yeah. has been incredibly helpful because I now realize that, you know, I am enough. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, who wants to be perfect? How tedious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think... Good luck any finding anybody <laughs> in the world. Who is. Oh, and if you did, wouldn't they be boring? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just, just thinking, you know, you're enough. And there's something around losing a mother as well, especially a mother that you were very close to and had a very positive relationship with. I've learned to mother myself. Mm. I've learned to give myself that that maternal unconditional love that that I had from my mum I was very lucky to have it you know up until I was you know 45 46 um a lot of people I know never have it so I, I don't for a minute take it for granted but I've now learned to give that to myself and it comes back again to if you can give yourself that sense of enoughness and that sense of peace then you're less at the mercy of these external buffetings it'll still happen to you things will happen but you'll have that inner center of of peace and you'll be able to deal with it that little bit more gracefully yeah not perfectly but you'll be able to deal with it and you'll also believe that it will pass and you will believe that everything will work out as it's supposed to in the end I'm so with you on that and I love that you're able to state that so definitively even though you know (laughs) It's, you know, this the time period between your husband, Paul, recovering and and now having this conversation. It's not that long at all. No, it's a couple and, of months. Yeah, very short time period. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's astonishing when we talk about these turning points in life and the twists and turns that, that life takes. It's astonishing how in all of these conversations – what tends to happen is that everybody I've spoken to and and from my own journey, my own stuff as well, we do somehow come away so much richer and wiser and some like in all the brokenness of life, we sometimes somehow become more whole. And I I really I really feel that from you. I really see that in you. It's it's still hard. I mean, I still yeah. when I when I state out loud, you know, I am enough. There's still that little bit of cringe where you think, oh goodness, how does that sound? You know, yeah, but that's but, human, isn't it? That's, yeah, it's I it's think... the little ego dog, you know, yapping away. <laughs> exactly the puppy dog ego. Little puppy dog. I I love that teaching from you. That think of your <laughs> ego as a as just an enthusiastic puppy that just wants some cuddles. I, I found that very very helpful. <laughs> Just give your little ego a cuddle and it'll all be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a work in progress. Um, I hope I'm not tested again soon. <laughs> I would like a little time off from being tested. But, you know, if I am, I am. Um, I have much more faith in my ability to kind of roll with it than I used to. And, and I think that does just come from accepting I'm not in control of everything. You can't be in control of everything. You can't always be an A-grade student either. You know, I, I suffered from perfectionism for 
oh, most of my life, I think, and I, and I still do, which is why it amuses me that my favourite artistic medium is watercolour, which is the hardest thing to be perfect in. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with being a decent watercolour painter is you have to embrace the happy accident because you can't control it very easily as a medium. And I find it interesting that I've gravitated to that particular form of art as, as almost like a therapy, <laughs> just a, a constant reminder, no, you definitely can't control everything. And it's okay. There's some beauty in that. Yeah, permission to play as well. Just Absolutely. That's what I'm all about these days. I'm, I'm just playing with my writing and my art. And I have no idea where it's going to take me. Um, I have some loose plans, but I'm just enjoying it for its own sake. And, you know, my definition of success now is thinking about this. Um, It's quite simple. It's do you feel good most days? And are you making the people around you feel good most days? And if you can answer yes to that, then that to me is a successful life. And there's no there's nothing I want more than that is to, you know, just to feel good in myself and to make those people I love and care about around me feel good about themselves Um, and I don't think you can put a price tag on that (laughs) no I can't hear enough people sharing similar definitions of success on their terms because it's it is so individual so unique and and when it comes down to it what we care about most in the world really is is our relationships um and what shapes us and and shapes our capacity for joy and peace and all of those lovely kind of rich nourishing aspects of of emotion and of our lives it's in the i don't know it's in it is in the relationship with ourselves like you said it's you've had to learn to to mother yourself you've had to learn to care for yourself to accept or or, or move towards a daily journey like for most of us if accepting your enoughness those are the things that really make our lives richer I think because and and also woven into everything you've said is this clear acceptance of responsibility for yourself and this realization that you get to shape your experience of your life that's that's ultimately what you're kind of realizing and what you've what you're doing and and obviously you're really helping your husband with that as well through this recent journey you've had with him yeah, he's he's a pretty evolved human being. I, yeah. I don't know how much help he needed. <laughs> Maybe more of a reminder. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he's a really calm person, and he's he's sort of a very zen guy, you know. And and it was he never believed that he wouldn't recover. He never had a moment's doubt. So he says, and I can't honestly sit here and say that's true for me. There was the first forty-eight hours that he was in hospital, and they didn't know what he had, and they were playing what we called consultant bingo where they all stand at the foot of the bed and discuss what terrifying things you might have uh, which is really helpful <laughs> there, oh, yes. there were you know there were 48 hours there where I I had a fear that he may die uh, you know this paralysis was getting worse and worse it got to mid chest that got very freaky and they started talking about ventilators and and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I had 100% bulletproof confidence I didn't um, not until we got the diagnosis and then it became easier because as I say it's 95% of people go on to recover and at that point I thought well you know he's relatively young to have this condition he was super fit going in 
Um, and he's back on his mountain bike already. So, yeah, what can you do? Wow, that's amazing. I know. I'm not sure how I feel about that, to be honest, Helen. I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> shouting after him, be careful, don't fall <laughs> off. I mean, he was never, he never had great coordination before this illness. <laughs> and, uh, he, was, he was always falling off the bike anyway. And now I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, this neurological condition <laughs> is not going to have improved the situation. Although maybe it has, I don't know, because he hasn't yet, fingers crossed, touch wood, had an accident. But um, yeah, I, I think from the moment we got the diagnosis, it, it became easier to be positive because I knew him well enough to know that if what it came down to, and, and this is what it did come down to, is rehabilitation and effort um, and physiotherapy, I knew he would give it everything. Um, and they say on average six to 12 months to recover from GBS, and he did it in five, which is just typical, Paul. Yeah, that's profound. <laughs> that's amazing. That's has, has to be accolade. a little ahead of the curve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I, I will beat the system. <laughs> I mean, we were very fortunate, you know, to, to have access to the, the NHS advice and, and a fantastic private physio as well, who was just absolutely amazing and came to the house and worked with both of us to overcome those everyday challenges and give him his independence back as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You must look back now and just think, good Lord. <laughs> What yeah. a decade! Well, somebody call Steven Spielberg quick, except if yeah, you wrote absolutely. it all down. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure anyone would believe it if you made it into a film. Anyway, they'd say, but, "Really? That seems a bit far fetched." Yeah. So, where where do you find yourself now? In you know, in terms of how you feel about life now, what you're really loving about um, where you are now in life. Yeah, this is probably going to sound really weird, given everything we've talked about. I just feel really light-hearted. I think that's how I would have to say. You know, I feel enjoyment in every day. Um, things that used to stress me out barely touch the sides anymore. I just think, whatever, you know. As I said to Paul, you know, you're alive and everything else is admin. And that's kind of how I treat all the other challenges in life, you know. I just feel lighthearted. I feel like I know myself much, much better than I did 10 years ago. You know, if you'd have said to me as I walked out of that office in December 2010, this is what the next decade is going to bring. I think I probably would have run a mile. I think most yeah. sensible people would. Um, and I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it because it's been a rich experience. It's been a slice of real life. And it's just made me so, so grateful for every day I have. And it's given me some more courage, I think. Um, when you've dealt with really difficult things, and I know you have in your life, you mm. You get perspective, I think. Yeah. And the things that freak you out in, in other areas of life, like, well, what if I do a painting and I put it online and everybody hates it? You won't die. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's not a big deal. And I think that was the missing piece. I think, you know, that perspective, all my anxieties and all the things that were rolling around my head from my childhood and, and 20 years of pushing down who I really was, I think all of that had to go because so much was thrown at me I had no headspace for any of that so I'm now much more honestly authentically myself and what a gift that is you know um there's I'm sure a lot more to work on <laughs> and I'm confident that there will be many more challenges to come um but I feel very blessed if that doesn't sound odd I feel very blessed to have come through all of that um and to still be a, a, a relatively happy and optimistic person um, and I also learned that I have some amazing friends. I've found some beautiful teachers as a result of learning how to cope with the, the emotions that this sort of thing brings up. 
Um, and I've got much better boundaries. I think that's the other thing. I, I realized through the course of all this that I'm an empath um, and I, I feel other people's emotions really, really strongly. Now, obviously, when you're in a situation where somebody's in their final weeks, that's not necessarily the most useful skill because if you take on board all of their fear and their um, anxiety, you're no good to them. So again, it was kind of a lesson as an empath about holding on to that loving energy, but also knowing where the boundaries had to be and saying no to certain things so that you can say yes to other things. Um, So yeah, I think I I know myself better um, as a result of this decade long turning point. And I have you to thank for identifying it as a turning point. You know, before I started listening to this podcast series, I, you know, I just thought, oh, this is so frustrating. And it's just a series of unconnected challenges. But through listening to season one, in particular, that when it was a pop up, I realized that everybody goes through this stuff. Everybody does. Nobody has a linear success story in their life. And everybody will have a challenge. And some people will, you'll know what that challenge is and other people you won't. But nonetheless, it's there. And all of a sudden, it just gave me permission to forgive myself for the silly mistakes I'd made, like the bad part-time jobs and stuff <laughs> like that. Hilarious. Uh, that's a whole other podcast in itself. I was, um, I was thinking that people are so, <laughs> they're going to want to know what those things were. <laughs> Let's encourage of, them to write in and find out. Yes, out of respect to my former employer, I don't think I'll be naming the organisation that I worked for. Let, let's just suffice to say, again, you wouldn't believe it. And there is a stage play in it uh, in the future, I think, <laughs> at some point. Um, so... Was I? Yeah, I learned to forgive myself and I learned to lighten up and I learned to see the whole thing as, as a journey. And, you know, it's all part of the journey. And sometimes the journey has a real downward spike. And there's nothing you can do about that other than go with it and try and find a way out of it. And then once it's over, try and work out what you learned from it and what gifts you've been given to take forward to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. <laughs> You've learned so much and shared so much. As I say, it's a work in progress. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're doing good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I say that with love. I'm not being condescending. (laughs) No, no, I'll take it, Ellen. I'll take it. (laughs) Um, So on that note, let's just, let's finally explore maybe what I'd love to know is what have you learned about yourself that you'd really like to celebrate? along the way I think that I am enough I think it it all comes back to that realization that I don't have to justify my existence to anyone else I don't have to justify the way I organize my life um, to anyone else as long as I'm living in a way that's not hurting anybody and in a way that means I'm contributing to the people who are nearest and dearest to me then that's that's good enough you know that is just good enough and you have to write your own story you are the author of your own story and you can't ask anybody else to write it for you. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. Ah, Thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom. Is there anything else you'd love to share? And also don't forget before we say goodbye to share where people can find out more about you and your unfolding journey and where, where you are with your work right now. No, I, th- I mean, it's been a, a wide ranging conversation. I think the only other piece of advice I'd have given myself if I could go back in time is just take mm. a deep breath every once in a while. You know, it's so easy to be up in your head all the time. 
and constantly putting all of your energy up there but just taking a few minutes especially in stressful times and a few real deep belly breaths makes a huge difference I think to how you then proceed to deal with the situation um and as for my journey, uh, well, I'm at um, ClaireMaycock.com, M-A-Y-C-O-C-K, and it's Claire with all the letters, A-I-R-E. <laughs> um, and you can go there and you can read my blog and you will eventually be able to see my happy accident watercolour paintings. <laughs> um, and as and when I work out how I'm going to combine all of these things, I'm thinking maybe of running some creative retreats at some point. Um, just to give people space to explore their own creativity because I think everyone is innately creative I agree. but it's incredibly easy to lose touch with that um, you know in, in the modern world so I think um, there'll be a, a, a sign up uh, list I'm going to send out newsletters probably only about eight times a year I think to coincide with various seasonal festivals mm. um, and we'll just see where it goes I have no idea what what it'll look like in a year's time but I'm just going to enjoy the ride I love that is there anyone particular you'd like to invite on the journey with you if someone was listening to this and loving loving the sound of what you've shared what you're saying just just really loving the vibe that you're emanating beautifully (laughs) (laughs) well I'd like it to be an open and welcoming space so everyone should should feel free to to come on the journey I think if I do do these these re- retreats and workshops, they'll, they'll be designed for people who have lost touch with either their own creativity or the gentle rhythms of nature. So people who are either always on the go all the time or people who have had to put other people's needs before their own. You know, I, I know a fair bit about that. Yeah. Um, and, and just want a little bit of space in their day to just be themselves to think about what's beautiful in the world and what's beautiful in their lives um, and discover their own creativity in whatever form that takes, you know, cooking, knitting, painting, whatever it is your thing is, gardening. Um, I, I just want to encourage people to take that time for themselves because I think it's so, so important to do that. And if you don't do that, you could, you have no use to anybody else, really, yeah. at the end of the day. What a perfect place to end this conversation. I'm sure we will have more. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. I'm not going to lie. I, I'd quite like to come on one of those retreats. <laughs> I'd quite like you to teach at one of them. So let's talk about that. <laughs> let's do that. I'm liking the sound of this. <laughs> your, your beautiful energy fits perfectly in, in the world I'd like to create. So thank you, Helen. Thank you. I'm so glad we got to meet and uh, albeit it seems like we've met in person and we haven't really, have we? But I feel like yeah. we have because uh, we've spent a fair amount of time together online. So, we um, have. so yes, thank you for coming into my world and thank you for sharing. Well, I don't know how you've covered so much in such a short, relatively <laughs> short space of time, but thank you so much for everything you've shared. I think you will be really thrilled with what's emerged from your wise soul in this conversation and um yeah i think i think people will take a lot from it so i really appreciate it thank you oh it's been a pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode of the turning point project if you found this episode useful i'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast as it really makes a difference and will only take a moment if you'd like to continue the conversation or ask me any questions, come and connect with me over on Instagram at Helen Rebello Author 
or join the free magical life movement at helenrobello.com. Have a gorgeous, gorgeous day and I'll catch you in the next episode.